In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, well, 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 welcome back to the True Life Podcast. I hope everybody out there is having a beautiful day. You know, in our lives, there's so much that we can be caught up about, or we can kind of get caught in the mix a little bit, but there's so much to be thankful for. And one of the things I want everyone to be thankful for is their own origin story. I want people to be thankful that there's people out there that have been through things before that you may be coming up to. There's a great quote that says, most people in life are either going into a storm, they're in a storm, or they're coming out of a storm. And I'm going to introduce you today to our friend of the show, Jake Wood, who's been in all of those positions. And I think he's really fit to tell us about the adventure he's been on. And I think everyone can pull some nuggets of truth out of these adventures. So Jake Wood, he, he lives his life with so much passion, but there's a quote that he has called living beyond the brink. And I think his story sums that up. But before I pass, there's a lot I could say about him, but I'm going to dish it off because I want him to tell the story here. But I want to start with this one quote that really hit home for me, Jake, and that is the moment right before you quit is usually the moment right before the miracle happens, man. I, how are you? How did you come up with that quote? What's going on there? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on here. Yeah, the quote is, I didn't come up with the quote. It was right. something that I had had read. Um, like you know, being in sales my whole life, it was something of like, and you don't right. want to give up, right? You get told no the whole time. And it was something where it was like, you know, usually, and there's a lot of inspiring stories of like, usually it's, you know, they're just ready to give up. And then all of a sudden, like a donor will come in and, and give them a bunch of money to start their business and whatnot. Right. And I just kept seeing that happen, right? Because I was like, I, I don't, I don't want to do that. But then you, you can push a little bit you know, further, right? Just, just hanging on Always. trying again then all of a sudden it's like, wow, I'm so glad I did. And that's when like that transformation happens. And so it was something that like really stuck with me because it was something I struggled with, right? I wanted to, to quit quite a bit. Yeah, it. I think that that is a point that we can really drive home. I think a lot of people really want to quit and there's nothing worse than 
seeing that person who has quit because it feels mm -hmm. like part of them has died. And the truth is everybody who's made it has probably been through those moments where they quit on themselves and it, it, mm -hmm. it, it built a fire in them. You know, like the fire goes out, but then they build a new fire and it builds back in a way and burns brighter than anything ever possible. And I think that's what your story does, Jake. And I, I, I was just hopeful. I want I, first off, congratulations on all the new certificates you've gotten. Congratulations on all the people whom you have touched and helped become better and believe in themselves. I think that's amazing. But I like to start off with origin stories. And I think that you have a beautiful one. So I just want to turn it over to you. And you know, you can start from wherever you think is a great starting path. But maybe you can just introduce a little bit of who you are and then start with your origin story. Yeah, for sure. So um, I am... I'm from a small coal mining town in, in Eastern Utah, right? So my grandpa, he worked in his, the mine his whole life, retired. My dad, 20 plus years. My brother worked there. I worked there for about six months is all. Um, insane experience. But um, I, you know, I, I've been doing a lot, of, a lot of sales in my life, a lot of managing, a lot of leading. And so I was always big into coaching. I, you know, played sports growing up, loved basketball. I'm a big basketball fan, so um, I had kind of wanted to be a coach that way. Right? I, I love working with people, and uh, just kind of life, like as we'll talk about, just <laughs> you know, we think we're going to go one way, and then it's like, no, man, like this is, you know, it's not going to happen, right? So, um, but yeah, it all all started right. I, I'm from a big family, right? A family of eight. There's I have um, four sisters and a brother. I am the fourth out of the six kids, um, you know, being, I mean, it's kind of a typical large Mormon family, right? I grew up um, in a really religious home. Um, you know, the, the roots go way back to the beginning of the church, right? So um, my third great grandpa was Wilford Woodruff, who was the fourth president and prophet of the church. Wow. And, and so that, that entire line, right, the Woodruff side is, you know, all of my uncles were all seminary teachers, um, a lot of strong, strong faith, um, a lot of strong faith, wonderful people. It's, you know, I, I was blessed, you know, they all have six kids. So I have a ton of, of cousins and uh, they all have babies. It's just, it's insane. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of where um, I had, I had kind of mentioned this earlier too. It's like, I've told my story a little bit, like a lot of people had known some of the things that have happened to me. But it wasn't until I'm not not joking. It was about a month, maybe two months ago, really, when like that real healing experience came. Mm. And which is why it was like, you know, when I, I met Kristen, it was like, OK, this is kind of this is really fast. Um, just just because of the fact that I had that. It was trauma. Right? I didn't know I had trauma. I um, I was. I, I think I lost it. Okay, so yeah, I didn't realize that the trauma part of my life was even a thing because I grew up in such a loving family, right? Like I had both parents, right? I was loved. I had a lot of family. Um, and I, I was just like, I, you know, I know a lot of people who have had a lot of horrible things happen and that's trauma. Um, but, you know, working with a, an amazing therapist, like honestly, it's really hard. I feel like to find I feel like it's it's difficult to find a good therapist, right? You you go and 
and sometimes it doesn't do it does damage <laughs> going um but you know her name is amanda mossing it's actually her birthday you can find her oh, at nice. soul-feather.com she's a beautiful beautiful soul but we were talking and a lot of a lot of emotions were coming up right where it was you know trauma and dr gabor mate um has talks talks about it right trauma is not what happens to you right those are traumatic events um, but trauma is what happens inside you and so as we were going back through my childhood right like those that's when those those things start coming right like that's when the yeah. the voice in our head we call it our gremlin right in the um you know in the course that i took right to get my certification that's what we talked about that gremlins that voice in your head it's you know you don't belong here you're not smart enough you know? and those usually that message usually comes when we're younger right right uh, but it's there to protect us and um you know when we started talking about it you know my gremlin had always been like like i'm a bad person right um or that i i didn't belong and when we were going back and trying to go back as far as we could right to right. see maybe where those where those things happened um and i and i want to be clear too it's like like i said my my parents my family all were the best people right it wasn't anything to do with them they went through their childhood trauma we all go right go through it right um but i saw it happening where and i was i had a ton of energy as a kid i would could not stop talking, laughed all the time, right? Like I would get kicked out of every single class, right? Primary, <laughs> like even at home, it was like, it would be too much for my mom, right? Like, hey, go see grandma. So I'd, you know, I'd have the grandma and I'd go annoy yeah. her. Um, but as I was getting, you know, kicked out of class or, or, you know, just kind of like, it was just kind of confusing to me because I would get scared because then I was getting in trouble, right? right? Because then it was like, okay, hey, you can't even be quiet. And that, that kind of goes with what Dr. Mate talks about too, is like, it's suppressing who we are, right? Like those are natural emotions, right? And right. to feel that, okay, if I act this way, that's bad, I'm not, I, I can't do that, right? And so there'd be those times, um, you know, in, in sports, if I would make a mistake, I'd, get, I'd start crying in front of everybody because I made a mistake or I thought I was gonna get yelled at kind of thing right um and so but then as we were going through that that's when you know with the church type stuff where i i started going back there where i could see a lot of those messages being reinforced in in that religious side of things where again the church has blessed me so much in my life i i owe a lot uh, sure. of my my growth to them um, but there, but there were certain things of, you know, we didn't watch PG-13 movies. We could watch like Disney shows and animated scripture shows. And in those animated scripture movies, it was like, you know, there's a story about the wicked King uh, Noah, right? They call it wicked King Noah. And, you know, he got burned at the stake. And so it was that whole idea of if you're not living the commandments, you're a wicked person, right? Mm -hmm. You're a bad person right so it's kind of that either or and i could see that right so when i'm going to to church and i'm getting kicked out of class it kind of was like like you know that's where it was yeah. start. that's where it was starting um, um but you know i didn't know and that's kind of where the confusing part is like as a kid like you don't know that that's happening to you 
right. um, and so I kind of thought it was normal. Um, you fast forward to when, I, when you're 12 years old, right? Adolescent years, you know, um, this is where it really got difficult for me. Um, you know, when you're going through, it was, it's kind of a difficult part of the, the whole process, but I feel like it's important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the birds and the bees talk didn't really happen. What had happened was um, there was a, a talk given by a general authority that was, um, it was entitled Two Young Men Only, right? Hmm. And it was talking and it later became a pamphlet, which I received when I was 12. And in the pamphlet, it talks about, you know, it compares the reproductive system to a little factory, right? And so like the misuse of that factory, um, you know, it, it can run its course, right? If you just let it go, let it alone, it'll run its course. It, it works just, just fine. But if you start to tamper with it, right? If you start to um, like, you know, do anything that, you know, during that age, which is, which is normal behavior that I, right. I learned now, it's like, that's, it doesn't matter. Like that stuff that's literally going to happen. Um, then there's serious consequences, right? And, and so when you, you think about it, it was talking about like, if you give in once, like it's something that you can be tempted again and again, and you won't feel anything but de depressed and guilty, you know, it talks wow. about it. Yeah. And so, and I don't want to like just say it, say it. So I did write down some things because I don't want to, a misconception is people that leave the church are angry at the church. And so I, I'm not angry at the right. church. And so, um, but a part of it was, um, it's like, you know, pray more, read, a hymn, read more like, in the scriptures and sing a hymn. Um, the signal of worthy manhood is self-control. If you misuse it, you will be worthy. Boys are to become men, masculine, manly men. Ultimately to become husbands and fathers, no one is predestined to, to be a per, to a perverted use of these powers. And by that time, I mean, those were, were natural things that that had happened, but like in my mind from that, I am bad, like that shattered me because like I wanted to be, I wanted to be good, right? Like it yeah. wasn't like, it wasn't like I was trying to misbehave in my classes. Like I really wanted to be good. And that was the same in church and it killed me because at that age, you, uh, they have the sacrament, right? And then when you're right. 12 years old, you, you pass the sacrament to everybody. But if you make a mistake like that, um, then you're not able to, right? You don't have the Holy Ghost with you, right? So you have to sit out for a while. But if there's like five 12-year-olds in that, you know, the ward, and you're sitting out, everybody, obviously everybody knows that, oh, okay, Jake had done something. And so then that's a thought in your head. It's like, okay, now everybody thinks I'm bad. Yeah. Like going back to that, oh my gosh, I'm bad because... You know this is happening and then you know you you repent you confess and then after a certain amount of time you can bless the sacrament again until it happens again mm. right so then it was kind of like a it's like okay my family i'm letting all of my family down they see this you know people in the ward see this um and it was just really really hard to to go through and so you know, especially because the first time that I had seen anything to do with pornography 
right, was no doing of mine. I, it was, you know, I was 10 years old. You know, I was like walking out in the hills in Price and I, I came across a magazine and I felt so guilty. It felt like I had looked looked for it, right? And I, I didn't mm. dare say anything because right. so I, I didn't want to get in trouble. I didn't want to be bad. And like, I think of it now, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's like, I just want to hug yeah like that that person that kid right um and so that was that was kind of my 12 to let's say throughout high school right i, I didn't drink i didn't do any drugs right. all through high school um i didn't have a girlfriend because i was scared to death i had no healthy idea of what relationships were <laughs> were yeah. right like the the sexual type um instances and you know, it was time for me to be at the age of, of going on a, a mission, a church mission. Okay. So I was going to be one of the first, my brother didn't serve a mission, right? He's older and, and I was going to be the first, you know, grandkid yeah. to serve a mission. And so I was like, okay, yeah, this is, this is awesome. But like during that couple month period of like getting out of high school and before you go on a mission, they tell you it's like to be extremely careful during that time, because Satan doesn't want you to go on a mission, right? Satan is going to do everything in his power to make it so you don't go. And so mm -hmm. it's like, don't be alone with a girl, a, a member of the opposite sex, you know, just try to be, you know, like have somebody with you, you know, basically to, to watch you. And unfortunately I had, I had messed up before I left. And again, I, when I did, it felt like I could feel my, my soul just like screaming, like, like, no, right. It was like, it was just so, as soon as it happened, right. It was just, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? But I didn't want to tell anybody because I wouldn't be able to go. Yeah. And I knew a lot of people who had done what I had done and even worse, and they still went on their mission. Right. I was just right. like, I'm going to do that. Yeah, totally. I'll, I'll be cool. Um, I lasted maybe about like a little, like two and a half weeks. They put me in a leadership position right off the bat, right? Over about eight or 10 missionaries. And I was constantly getting praised of how good of an example I was, how great of a leader I was. And inside I was just like, oh, my. like, uh, they have no idea. And I couldn't, I, I just like, I can't lie anymore. I was, you know, I didn't want to do that to the people. And I really, really wanted to be a great missionary, right? Like, I followed all of the rules. I did everything that I could, um, trying to do so to make up for what I right. know, not feeling worthy. So it was late at night. I called our district leader who ended up calling the mission president. You know, I'm, I confessed to, to them and I was sent home from my mission. So in my mind, right, this is a whole nother thing of like, it's not what happens to us. It's what's happening within us, right? That's what yeah. the trauma is. Yep. So in my mind, it's again, like, oh my gosh, like I'm not worthy. You know, when you have a big family, like the idea is, you know, in, you know, Latter-day Saints, like it's not a, we don't believe in hell, right? It's, you know, there's levels of the, the kingdoms, right? And so celestial kingdom is the highest level and you want to be there with your family. Right. And so you don't want to be left out of that because it's all about family, right? Everything is like, we don't want any empty chairs yeah. in heaven. And I didn't want to be that empty chair. And so that, like that mindset of like, oh my gosh, I'm screwing it up. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be the one 
you know, left out and I'm disappointing my, my mom, my dad. And that's my mind, right? Like my right. mind is just continuous, right? A lot of energy. And so it's just eating at, me, eating at me. Yep. So to stop that, I, you know, I remember I came home, I went to my first party, um, it was out in the hills. I drank for the first time and, you know, I, I enjoyed the confidence that I got from it, right? I was, I was talking, I was, I wasn't thinking about how big of a piece of crap, um, I was. And, um, you know, shortly after that, it's kind of crazy. Cause I went from that to pain pills. I was offered some, mm. some pain pills and, um, I, I started taking pain pills. I smoked weed for the first time. Um, and I just, I mean, it, it numbed it, right? Like, yeah, I didn't have to think of anything. And so like, man, I'm, I'm just going to continue to do this. Um, at that time though, Oxycontin. So it was a, a time when like our little town just got destroyed by Oxycontin. <clears throat> and so, I mean, everybody, you know, everybody was, was doing it. I started to sell, uh, some to support the habit. Like people would pay like $110 for one pill. Right? Wow. It was ridiculously expensive, but it was because it was, it's synthetic heroin, right? Like, right. Yep. And, and so then once that becomes too expensive, right, then you have heroin that's super cheap. Right. And so then that's where heroin comes into play, you know, and there's a lot of people, you know, overdosed, um, you know, just, just a bad, bad time. Um, but it wasn't like that was my drug of choice. I just didn't want to fail. Right. Right. And so there was a point where I didn't have anything and, um, prices also, it's a, it's a pretty, it has a meth problem pretty bad, right? It's a small town. It's about an hour sure. away from really anything. And I had known of an apartment complex down there that was known for having meth and, all of my friends, really strong LDS, right? Best friends ever, you know, uh, you know, but they had left on their mission. A lot of the ones that are close to my age and none of them would have done that. So I just went by myself. It was like, I remember it was like one or two in the morning. I just drove down there. I saw a car that was parked on the side of the road and had some people in it. And in my mind, I was like, I bet they are. Those are the guys. <laughs> yeah, those are the guys. <clears throat> so I just walked up to the car, knocked on their window, freaked them out a little bit. <laughs> um, That's awesome. Yeah, no, no idea who I am, but I was just like, hey, like, do you guys know where to get this? If you do, like, I'll buy everything. Like, because I don't know how to smoke it. I don't know how to do right. things. So I was like, I'll buy it if you guys will help me right. smoke it. And they're like, all right, man. Yeah, let's let's do it. Jump in, bro. Welcome to the <laughs> yeah. welcome to the family. <laughs> yeah, best friends, right? Immediately. Totally, like, oh totally. my gosh. Yeah. And so so I'm like, okay, yeah. And we end up, it was like a it was like staying up for like three, four days, just Defender. insane stuff happening where and you because you kind of get like you hallucinate a little bit, right? Yeah, There's, of course. You know, there was a time we were at like a trailer park, some guy ran in you know he had like a little knife and he's like they're after me they're after me and i hadn't done anything yet so i was still coherent so i'm like who's after you it's like but there wasn't anybody right it was for him just, there was for him there was absolutely <laughs> five guys looking for him <laughs> exactly exactly so um so that's kind of like you know three four days and then money runs out meth's gone mm -hmm. they're no longer your friends 
Yeah. Right. They're just people that are passed out. My conscious starts coming in mm. um, and I leave. I start walking home. Right. Um, it's about four, four thirty or five in the morning. And I'm just walking like just kind of like lost, right? Tired. And I see a, in a like a basement apartment light on. And I'm like, dude, maybe they have meth. Like, like that's that's my mindset of like, yeah, I'm gonna go ask, I'm just gonna go knock on that random door and ask them if they have meth. So I walk over there and I knock on the door and I'm like, I'm just out of it. And the kid that opens it, um, I recognize him. He was the kid that I I knew from the college there. And he opens the door and I look right by him and him and his roommate I looked by him and his roommate was sitting there at the table and they had their scriptures open Mm. like they're having scripture study and he looks at me and he's like Jake and his name is actually Jake too but he's like Jake and I couldn't say anything right I just I just saw the scriptures Mm -hmm. and it was just kind of like dude what are you doing like go home it's like go home tell your parents right like you need yeah yeah so i walked home you know they were sleeping i just walked in the room and i told them that i needed help um and my parents are the most amazing people in the world Yeah. and you know they're like okay yeah let's let's get you some help but we lived an hour away right through the canyon and so we were calling a detox center because i was you know not right mentally i was just wanting to end everything right just like uh my life and so he called somewhere and they said that they had a, a bed for me. We yes. drive up there. Um, and by the time we got up there, they're like, oh, I'm sorry, we filled the bed already. So then he had to drive me back home, you know, an hour back through the canyon back home. We called somewhere else. They said that they have a bed for me. And so he drove up again and back. And finally, we did find a place where they, they kept the bed open. And I was able to get in and... Um, I ended up going to rehab, which the church, the church helped and pay for. And rehab is so expensive, right? Like so expensive. And, you know, because my parents have been so, you know, faithful and just as like, no, we want you to help. We want to help. And so um, I was able to go to rehab immediately. Like I'm talking like two weeks later, I was playing um, at a softball tournament and there was, you know, I was playing in the outfield and the ball was hit between me and the the left fielder. And we didn't talk, we didn't communicate, right? So we're both running at it and I dive for the ball and he doesn't. And he's a, he's a big guy too. And I'm laid out and I, my shoulder just drives right into his thigh. Just, I just mm. crunch. They also, they could just mm. hear it, you know, clearing the, you know, the dugouts and, and everything. So I yeah. shattered my clavicle. Um, I broke a couple ribs on the, on my left side. And, you know, when I kind of came to uh, like, it was a big gasp, right? Cause I think it had like hit <laughs> part of that lung and I'm just like, oh my gosh. Like, I was like, I think I broke my back. I think I broke my back. They're like, I don't know, man, you messed your shoulder up. <laughs> it was just, it yeah. was just, you know, completely out. But because of that, I was right back on pain pills. Right. Right. Right back on pain pills. And I, a lot of pain pills. So I, I don't have a job. Um, at this point too, I start getting like, I start getting crazy, right? Like I was going completely against the, 
the kind, loving Jake, right? I was just going like, and I was big into um, rap music, gangster rap mm-hmm. music. I loved gangster rap music. It was like the furthest thing away from, <laughs> sure. from like the church, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was, you know, I wanted to be, I, I thought I was a gangster, right? I, I was hanging out with people who I shouldn't have been hanging out with. But I just was getting, I just didn't want to feel it. So like all day I would go, I would just, I didn't have a job yet. So I'd be upstairs and I'd go to my room and sniff a bunch of Percocet, come back up. It'd be all day, just just back and forth. And, you know, during this time, I was still, you know, messing up on the immoral side of things. I'm not going to church, I'm messing up that way. And um, which literally was the whole like, the morality part would be the thing that would just drive me to take more and more and more, just try to numb it. Because like I said, as a kid, you know, you learn that sexual sins, it's, it's next to murder. Mm. Right. So you're thinking, it's like, dude, I'm, I'm on that level. <laughs> like, right. It's like, I'm, yeah. I'm on that level. And so just numbing, numbing. And I got a call from one of the church leaders and they said they wanted to hold a disciplinary council for me um, for my membership. Right it was, you know, during those councils, you either get disfellowshipped, meaning that, you know, you're still a member of the church, uh, but you can't hold a calling. Um, you can't pray and, and things like that. Or you get excommunicated where you lose all of your blessings. You lose the gift of the Holy Ghost. You lose, you know, the priesthood. You lose all of those things. And I was like, dude, go ahead, have it. I don't care. Excommunicate me. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, you know, do what you got to do. And I honestly, I did not think I cared. I got a letter in the mail from them telling me that they had you know, held the council. And when I had read, it was like, you know, dear brother Wood, um, you know, the, the council had you know, come to a conclusion and it said, you are no longer a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And oh my gosh, like, it hurt. Yeah. Like, it hurt really, really bad. But I did like, I didn't think I cared like at all. Right. But like my, my inner, my inner Jake, my inner self was just like, yeah. dude, that is, it was a killer. Yeah. Um, so that kind of, you know, that's when I started getting all of my tattoos. That was kind of like a, a healing thing for me. Right? Sure. Like wounding. I needed to feel something. And so, you know, I just got all sorts of tatted up. Um, then one my one of my buddies was going to North Carolina to sell security systems right for the summer. It's a, it's a big thing in Utah to go out and and do that. And he asked me if I wanted to come out with him. Nice. And at that time, I was on a drug called Suboxin. Are you familiar with with that? I'm not familiar with that. No. So it's a drug that they give you know opiate people okay. trying to come off of of opiates, right? Okay. And so I'm on that. I'm not doing any opiates. Um, so I'm doing I'm doing pretty good. I get to North Carolina and I was there probably about a month is all. And, you know, I started smoking weed again. Um, I made a mistake that, you know, when, when like word was getting around the office, you know, I was, I was denying everything, but, you know, I, one of the, the managers was like, Hey, there's another office in Houston that needs somebody and we're going to send you there. So I'm like, all right. So I fly home and then I drive down to Houston I don't have any of my, I don't have a doctor down there to get my Suboxone. Okay. And so I'm going through like heroin withdrawals, really mm. just, you know, this, the same kind of, of withdrawals sure. that you get. 
so I don't go out for the first two weeks. I don't go out and do any of like, you know, the installations, security systems. Um, I find somebody at the McDonald's who I thought looked like they smoked weed. They smoked weed. And so I ended up just like hanging out with them the whole time. Um, there was one point where all of the sales reps had left and the, for an incentive, the manager had put five $100 bills just pinned up there. So when I went to the office, I saw that, I saw nobody around. I took all $500 and went and got a tattoo. Um, so it was, I was the only one not working. So of course it was like, Hey, did you take the money? I'm like, yeah. no, I didn't take the money. It's like, you know, kind of the, the same thing. But then after that, they're like, Hey, we, we're going to send you to another office down in, it was called the Houston South office. So I get kicked out of that office as well. And when I got to that Houston South office, it was an office full of Canadians, which were the coolest, the nicest people in the world. But they were all, they were all clean cut. You know, some of them had their wives, their kids. Mm. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is my family. Or they're all Mormons, right? Like yeah. I know, like I yeah. know that they are. And so I felt at home and I felt those those thoughts of like. I started to actually think about Mormonism again. I started to think about like my life. Mm. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with like the prodigal son story. Sure. <clears throat> so there, it was one of my favorite animated scripture yeah. movies as a kid. And it kind of like reminded me of myself. I'm like, oh, I had right. all of this, you know, I'm going to go on my own and then, you know, yeah. go with the world. Yeah. And I lose everything. And a part in that movie, it shows the prodigal son like it was when he was walking around, like he had lost everything, kind of like when I was on meth, just walking around, like he was just didn't have anything, no friends. Right. And he started eating with the pigs, right? Just the slop in like he he stopped and he's like, what am I doing? He's like, even my father's hired servants are eating better than I am. Right. Like I'll go work for my father. I'll go work and go back. <laughs> and I immediately relate, like related that to me. I'm like, man, like look at my family, like every single one of them are happy. They have kids, they have a life. And here I am getting kicked out of everywhere, sad, depressed, alone. Yeah. I'm like, I want to go back. Right. Yeah. So that, that decision was like, that was the time where I'm like, okay, I'm going to work hard to get rebaptized. And I started to write in a journal. Um, like that day, I was, I was planning on writing in the journal until I got baptized. And this, this part of my life was, uh, it kind of gets me going right now because yeah. when I go back to the journal, like that's one of the more depressing parts for me to look back because I saw how sad, how hurt, how mm. like desperate I was of like, I don't have the Holy Ghost. Like, how am I supposed to do this? I'm going to go at it alone. Like, like I can't pray. I can't, I can't even talk in church, right? If I were to go, like I can't participate. So then it's like, if somebody call, like I'm worried the whole time, like, oh man, somebody's going to call on me. I'm going to have to say, I'm sorry, I can't participate. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm excommunicated. I, I can't participate. And my very first page, when I went back and looked at it, it was a, there was a book. It was from one of my, at the time, favorite prophets, right? Spencer W. Kimball is called The Miracle of Forgiveness. Very first thing I put in my, my journal and it said, the person who is excommunicated loses his membership in the church and all attendant blessings. An excommunicant, 
as an excommunicant, he's in a worse situation than he was before he joined the church. He has lost the Holy Ghost, his priesthood, his endowments, his ceilings, his privileges, and his claim upon eternal life. This is about the saddest thing which could happen to an individual. Ah. Better that he suffer poverty, persecution, sickness, and even death. Oh, so then it goes on. It's, you know, as, you know, not having any of those, it says, um, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, and especially already branded as an apostate or transgressor. And so when you think about it, like the way that my mind has already been thinking, has already been killing myself inside of being the worst person in the world. Yeah. And then I read that it's better to, that I would, you know, better to die than be in the position that I'm in. Like that really, that really, really hurt to go back and read that because then the entire time was like, I just want to be an instrument in, in God's hands. And then I can help show people that, you know, no matter what you've done, God will forgive you if, <laughs> right, if yeah. you do this thing. So it was, it was that whole, like, that's the only way I'm going to be able to be an instrument in his hands. And then I would mess up. Right. You'd have to like the 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 rules to get back in the church was I had to be I had to be completely clean from drugs, from any immorality, masturbation, anything, pornography for a full for a full year. And I could not do it. And I would go and then I'd mess up and then I would get so depressed mm. because I had messed up. Right. And then it would go right. right back to drugs. And then I'm like, OK, what's the point? And and each time it would just get worse and worse. But then I would have moments and experiences of like no dude keep trying like yeah keep going you know i had great people you know friends and, and things like that um but you know i i was working with a bishop and um you know i, I was I, I had moved in with a friend out of price right I, I moved back to price from houston wasn't a good place for me moved out again and i met with the bishop to work on you know getting back in the church and you know, after talking to him about like some of the things I had done, he he looked at me and he said, "Well, I suggest he's like it would be smart of you to to stay away from you know any females you know don't date any right now." He's like, "But especially within our ward." And it was like these are you know I consider them to be my daughters type stuff and like it was like I was a predator, right? Yeah, yep, and. And so like when I'm thinking about it now, I'm like, what in the world? But when I read about it in my journal, I was like, yeah, that kind of hurt. But like, he's right. Like I am like, I'm mm. not to be trusted. I like I was mm. agreeing with it. Man, that makes me sad. <laughs> so I, I'm agreeing with it. And that's just the constant like kind of battle of like, okay, you do deserve this. You don't deserve this. Like, it's not about like being loved for like who I was. It was like how I was. I had to, it's like, if I don't do this, I don't deserve the blessings. I'm not worthy for love. I'm not worthy for, for any of those other things. And so finally I kept, I kept making mistakes. I got to the point where, you know, I went on another meth um, spree and I did some things in my mind that I thought I wouldn't have ever done in my entire life. 
um, didn't think I could come back from. And so I just was like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to run away, right? I'm <laughs> going to take everything in my car. I'm going to drive to California. I'll do whatever I have to do to, to get money. But like, I don't want to hurt my family anymore because there'd be times where it's like Thanksgiving, you know, I, I had overdosed one time and I miraculously made my way to the hospital like by myself mm -hmm. and I they put me in a, a detox center and I had to call my mom that night like it was early and, and call and say hey I'm at a detox facility I can't go to Thanksgiving right mm. it'd be those things where it would just be so many times and I'm like I don't want to hurt them anymore <laughs> I I don't I'm just gonna go I don't want like it's better and we would we would talk on her bed and like argue and of like how it how it's like it would be better for me if I committed suicide than to just keep hurting with and I'm like because don't you see that like I can't stop right that was one of the things that like I would cry and be like why can't you stop like I wanted to stop so bad it didn't make any sense I didn't mm -hmm. understand addiction it's like what the hell are you doing man like just stop and I couldn't and it was it was just breaking my heart to to have to have those late night calls of like, hey, I'm in a psych ward or hey, you know, I I overdosed kind of stuff. And so <clears throat> um, I put everything in my car and I'm on the way, but I drive through Price, right? Mm -hmm. And Price is just, it's a bunch of um, plateaus, right? It's like deserty and, and plateaus. And so there's, you know, like a place that I'd go um, I didn't go in the city. I just went and built a fire up on out in the hills, just trying to. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do it, right? Like having that conversation <laughs> of, right. like, man, this is this is just bad. Um, but I ended up calling a friend and letting him know that I was there. And while we were talking, like it just that voice came back again. It's like, go home. Mm. Like your parents, like go home. Your parents will still accept you. They still love you. And so I did. I went home. It was rainy. It was early in the morning. My dad opened the door. Just hug, right? Just yeah. open arms. Yeah. <laughs> like, 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 welcome home. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> and so, you know, I was like, okay, I'm gonna try, gonna try again. And <clears throat> I, I don't do very well like living with them, but at least I'm I didn't run away, right? Right. I get put on. Um, a lot of it was, you know, clonopin, like a lot of benzos, mm. um, and then a lot of antidepressants, right? I was diagnosed with bipolar at the mm. time because of all of these so called like manic crazy stages, right? And so it was just like, I'm all, all drugged out on, on those things, and I'm still just super, super depressed. Mm. Um, the benzos were really bad. I hated, I hated where I worked, um, and I just would take those and take those and take those but then it, it like it got so bad i was like i need to check myself into rehab like i'm not going to tell anybody you know i've got insurance with this company like i'm just going to go and check myself into rehab but i had also taken um it's called methadone it's kind of similar mm. to suboxone right. um as part of like the the benzos and because of that i guess it was like a really like dangerous reaction and a couple of the rehabs wouldn't take me like my insurance and, and things, it wouldn't take me. And I found a rehab up in Ogden, Utah, where I had, or I live right up there now, but mm -hmm. 
they would. So I, I drove up there completely just gone, you know, messed up. I, and like on, on finance, like on those things, you just don't remember anything. Mm. Right. So I drive the scary Canyon all, you know, at night all by myself. I hadn't ever been to Ogden, but my aunt had lived there, but I, I start to see all of these city lights and there was all these signs that said Ogden. And <clears throat> I didn't have, I didn't have a GPS at the time. And so I'm like, I have no idea where I'm at. And so I just called my aunt because, you know, she was pretty close with us too. And she was always one that just was cool. Right. She yeah. was 80s rocks. Like she was, yeah. she was like a little rebellious herself. Um, but I told her about it and, you know, I had never been to her house, but somehow I was able to just drive right there. Um, she took me to the hospital. Um, they sent me back home because I was going to get into the rehab. They're like, come back in the morning. And when I came back in the morning, the doctors were like, just pissed. It's like, dude, like coming off of benzos, like there's only a couple of things like alcohol and benzos, right? If you just completely stop it, like those, those will kill you, right? Those. Right. Um, and so they were, they were really upset about that, but you know, they, they took me in. Um, I ended up staying with my aunt and going to rehab at that time. And then this is where, this is where like, I think the good part started to, to finally happen. <laughs> we're getting there, right? Like it's, um, can I just pause oh, you right there for one yeah, second, yeah. Jake? Like, mm -hmm. first off, thank you for sharing that, man. That is a heart wrenching story, but I think more than the adjective of heart wrenching, I would say courageous. You know, when you bring up this idea of the prodigal son, or when you talk about in the beginning of your story about going on your mission and then this idea of this thing eating at you and then you coming clean, like I see, and I, I'm sure you do looking back on it, like you know how much courage it takes to be getting away with something and then be like, look, I gotta, I gotta be honest with these people. Like you had, you had this path in front of you. There's tons of people that had done what you did and never said anything. Maybe it eats them up. Maybe they have a gremlin because of it. But I think it's important to note how strong you are to come clean in the face of authority and stand up of authority and say, I did this and I'm sorry. Like that takes so much courage to do. And I would I would venture to say that 99.9% .9 of the people will never do that. And I think that that's a strength. And I think you could even correlate that with the strength that the church gave. Like they gave you faith mm -hmm. as a kid. They may have done some things that you don't agree with, but they instilled in you a mm -hmm. faith that allowed you to never give up on yourself. So I could see why you love them. So I just wanted to stop and interject mm -hmm. that right there, but now we can, we can take off. Thank <clears> you for sharing that, man. It's beautiful. No, that, that actually means a lot too, because I still, I mean, looking back, I'm like, okay, that's cool, but not necessarily of like that connection of like, like, dude, no, that is actually really cool. <laughs> like, yeah, that's that, like, like that's that's the <clears throat> foundation stone. Like, mm -hmm. there's a famous quote that says, "The stone that the builder refused will always be the head corner stone." And people that go through situations like this, there's you, you, you blew through your all your support systems. That can't have mm -hmm. that one. You burn that bridge. Burn that bridge. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And and still. <clears throat> When you burned away everything, when you distilled Jake down to the very bare bones, now, only now can you build back something that can withstand the test of time. Only then is a hero born. Only once you go through the fires of hell, even if you don't believe in hell, once you go through these fires, you're tempered. You've, you've, had, you've lost everything. What happens when you got nothing left to lose? Well, then... 
then you're yeah. given the torch that can light the path to help other people, man. So carry on, my friend. Yeah. Thank you for doing uh, it. I love it. I love it. No, I love it. Okay. So I'm, I'm in this second rehab, right? <clears throat> and during rehab, you do the 12 steps. And I had done the 12 steps. I was in the process of doing the 12 steps when I lived in the, the ward where I was the predator, right? And, right. you know, you have step four is you write a, a moral inventory of yourself. And it is like, it's like they want you to write everything, right? <laughs> like you're putting everything on the right. table. And so it's very like you're in a very vulnerable state because then in step five, they want you to read that to somebody. And so I'm like, okay, it makes sense. I'll read that to that bishop, right? Th third page in, I look up and he's falling asleep. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, and I'm, I was already not like wanting to do it. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm, I was like, I'm, I'm done. And he's like, oh, okay. I was like, yeah, I was like, I, I finished or whatnot. Um, I say that because at this rehab, I do step four, right? I write everything else from the time that happened from that first rehab to there. Yeah. And then it's time to read it to somebody. And I asked my aunt if I could read it to her bishop, right? She said she had a bishop. She's like, he's really cool. Um, I was like, okay. And, and so I was like, I'll read it to him. And that dude literally was on the edge of his seat, <laughs> just like listening. Like it, it was like, he cared. There was zero judgment like zero judgment. And he was just like, oh my gosh, like tell me more. It's like, oh, like acknowledging me, right? Validating me. Yep. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> what is this? What, what is this guy? This is a bishop, right? Um, and so it, it, was a, it was an amazing, amazing uh, moment for me. Um, out of rehab, I went back to Price and it just, you, you have to move, right? You have to get out of that situation. Um, but what, during my time there, it was, you know, I, I started getting into to drugs and everything again, but I had that thought, I'm like, dude, go ask Wendy, my aunt, aunt Wendy, yeah. I'm like, ask her if I can, like, I bet if I worked with that bishop, bishop, I bet I could get back in the church. I bet I, yeah. if I were to work for him. So I called her and she's like, yes, come move with this. Right. <laughs> like I'm literally selling, I'm literally selling drugs. I'm like, Hey, they know that I am. And they're like they still were like no dude like we know that you're trying yeah come and stay with us right um so i worked with him and it took a long time but like he got me he got my mind right it wasn't a it wasn't a specific rule like okay you broke that rule so now this is the it wasn't letter of the law with him it was right. the spirit of the law and he right. understood that and it like now i'm like why didn't it like can't you see somebody that's like, oh, I don't think anybody tried harder <laughs> to live the gospel or even to believe in it than I did. It's like, but that was so empower impactful because it was like, okay, I know that you did something bad. He's like, when, when people do something bad, they're like right here. He's like, when you do something bad, you're like way down here. <laughs> He's like, I'm not telling yeah. you to minimize the sin. Right. Right. I'm not telling you to minimize the sin. He's like, but you got to kind of minimize the sin, right? You kind of have to like, it's like, Hey, I made a mistake. Right. So that really, really helped. Um, I was able to get rebaptized. Um, you know, a lot of people in my life that had helped me get to that point, you know, they, you know, they came and supported me. It was, yeah. it was a big moment, right? It was my, yeah. like, okay, I, I returned. Um, and like, I was a little, like, 
I was excited about the return of like the gift of the Holy Ghost, right? Because that was something that I didn't have, right? Like that was something as, as an excommunicated person, like I didn't have that. And when I got baptized, I would get it again. And after I was baptized, like I didn't feel much different, right? Like I, I, I was, and it was probably a lot of expectations, but it was like, Mm -hmm. Like what in the world? Like I don't feel that gift of the Holy Ghost. Like I don't feel any different. And it was like I just thought, okay, like maybe you know you, you try to like uh, make sense of it. Um, but anyways, I don't go back on drugs, right? I, I've got a good community. Um, I start to do well at work. Those scripture movies that I talked about as a yeah. little kid, I ended up going and working at that company. So. <laughs> Um, I start doing really well. Um, I became one of the sales managers, um, you know, after some time on the phones. And then, you know, short while after that, I became the um, sales trainer, right? The, the lead trainer, um, still doing managing, doing the training. And then they wanted to open up an office about like an hour and a half away. And so they had me go open that office, right? So, you know, I would drive about an hour and a half, like early in the morning, I'd go there, I did the hiring, the, you know, training, you know, hopping on calls, you know, doing a lot of those things, all of the admin work. And I would stay there till about like eight at night and would drive back. But I loved it, right? I was coaching. I was like teaching. I was like, I had a lot of energy. It was just, it was awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, playing a lot of ping pong, um, <laughs> you know, a lot of those things. But then I just started getting like really tired like really really tired i didn't know what was going on i started like getting dizzy quite a bit i'm just like okay obviously i'm working i'm doing a lot right now so i just contributed it to that um i started getting like itchy legs i had like some like dots were showing up on like they look like pimples on my on my legs as well and so it's kind of like weird things you know then i'd get a cold sore and then when the cold sore would go away one would come immediately back. I'm like, what in the heck's going on? Then it would go away. And then one morning I woke up with like three or four, like all over my lips. And I was like, all right, I, I should go get checked yeah. and see what's wrong. Um, went in, got some blood work done. Um, they sent me to the, the pharmacy to pick up some uh, prescription. And before I got to the pharmacy, I got a call from that doctor and said, she suggests that I go see an oncologist. They found some abnormalities. Um, in my white blood, my white blood cell count. Mm-hmm. So I go. Um, I'm dating um, my partner Kira, who I'm I'm still with now at this yeah. time. And you know, we go and get my blood drawn. It was like three days or so um, after that. Like I got a phone call in the morning. I didn't recognize the number, so of course I didn't answer it. <laughs> um, but then they called right back. I answered it. They said, "Hey, we've got your tests back." Um, and they weren't going to test for cancer. They had said they were going to, they were testing for like HIV, hepatitis, mono. And, you know, I was like, so we can rule cancer out. And they're like, well, yeah, I don't think it's a leukemia. But then the other doctor said something. He's like, okay, let's just order. It was called a blow, a blood flow chemistry okay. test. So when I got there, they said, we got the blow. Like, so, cause I mean, after that, like I was looking up all my symptoms and everything and like, like the, the tests. And like, I kind of thought, I was like, dude, I think I have leukemia, <laughs> right? Like I just kind of like yeah. going through all of those things. I'm like, I feel like I have leukemia. <laughs> and so we're like, no, right? Like we, 
we're going through all of like you know if it were if it were this what are the, the survival rates mm. and, and all of that so there's some of the leukemias you know because i was pretty sad i was like dude i don't have i don't have hiv i don't have hepatitis it's like maybe mono um but i was like i i really think that so we're going through those and you know there's you know, all um, which has like, it's like a 68% survival rate, five-year survival rate. And we're like, okay, that's, that's crap. Like there's not <laughs> going to be any good diagnosis. Right, like, okay, right. but it's like better than 50%. Then we went like, then we saw AML and it said 27% chance survival rate. So I try to hurry and flick up like pretty yeah. quickly. Yeah. And Kira stops it and looks at it. I'm like, I probably don't have that one. So like, <laughs> Let's not look at that one. <laughs> That's not the one that I, I have. So we get that call and they're like, we need you to come up. You know, we got your results back. And I was like, okay, if it was mm. like just mono or something, they probably would have told us right. to go up there. So we take the hour drive up. And we're pretty scared. She's 20, I believe okay. at 1920 at this time. We'd only been dating for a few months. And we get there, they sit us down and my younger sister had lymphoma and they mm. had known about that. And the doctor sits us down and I don't know what it is, but doctors like just, they, they just, they let it like give it straight to you, right? Where it was, you know, Jake, your results came back, the blood flow symmetry, the symmetry. And I was like, oh my gosh. So I kind of knew what it was. And he's like, can you have leukemia? He's like, I know that your sister had lymphoma. This is nothing like it. It's like, this is an aggressive cancer. We're going to have to treat it aggressively. And you'll have to start treatment tomorrow. And so like at that point, I don't know if you've seen like on movies or whatnot, but like everything just was quiet, except for in the distance of like the, the wah, 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 right? Right, them saying that. And I'm just like in my head, I'm like, what the? I was like, what the hell did he just say? <laughs> like... And my carrot was crying, but I couldn't understand. And they tried to give me the phone. They tried to give me the phone to talk to the hospital, to give me some instructions of like, you know, what to expect. And I'm just, I, I had to give it back. I'm like, can you guys email it to me? I was like, I, I can't understand what's going on. And finally we get up to leave. And when we leave, I, I see everybody in the office and they're looking at me and I'm like, I'm like, man, I wonder, I'm like, do they know what I just got told, right? Like, do they know that I just got, I'm told I got cancer? So I, I'm, I'm not crying at this point because I'm still kind of stunned. You know, we get to my car, as soon as we close the door, we, we just like, we just cry, right? Just fall together. I tried to call my mom. And this is another thing of like, oh, great, I'm calling my mom. Yeah, right. For something good. <laughs> again. And you know, she answered. She's like, hello. And I'm like, I couldn't say anything. I, I'm trying to, but I, I can't get it out. She's like, Jake, like, Jake, are you there? And I'm just like, it's like I have leukemia. And I just, I just started bawling again, mm. couldn't talk. Um, and on the way home, I was like trying to like hype myself up, like, dude, okay, like you've gone through a lot, like yeah. you overcame addiction, like you can do this. But then it was immediately like angry of like, dude, I overcome like I overcame addiction. Like, why do I have to do this? Like, yeah. So I was like, you know, like that that battle of like, man, like I mean, but I didn't really have time. It's just like, hey, the next day's here. Yep. 
here's your treatment. So the regimen was, you know, the first week it's, you know, I think it was like five different types of chemo, but it was a, a 24 seven, right? Like, so I was getting pumped with chemo 24 hours oh. a day, for a full week. Oh. Um, after that, they had said it's like a 60 to 70%, you know, like people will usually get in remission after that first round, um, but mine didn't. And so they had to do another round. So another week, right? So I was there about two, two months that first time. And because of that is when they, you know, requested, like, you know, suggested that I, I do a bone marrow transplant. And I was like, all right, <laughs> I didn't really know, but you have to go in and like, before you agree to it, like they have to sit you down and explain everything and like what it entails. So we went into this big conference room. My parents weren't able to come up. So they like FaceTimed in and the doctor, Dr. Ash, she was this, she was brilliant. I had the, I had the greatest cancer doctors. Um, she sits down and, and she's like, you know, we want to make sure that you understand what you're going to be going through. And she said that they're going to have to use, I think it was, I think it was three or maybe it was five or something. It was like three high, high dose chemotherapy drugs within like three days. She's like, we're going to have to take it to the brink of death before we can put in, you know, those, those other stem cells to give you a chance at life again. And when she said the brink of death, I was like, whoa, <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> right? Like, oh, that was <laughs> so crazy. We're going to have to almost kill you, Jake. Yeah. <laughs> just so you know, <laughs> we're going to do. That's so crazy. Know, just so you know, we're yeah. going to try to kill you. <laughs> He's like, ask uh, people have been trying to do that my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I was like, okay. Like, so they, they start talking about it. And like, at the end, I'm like, all right. I was like, what if I, cause I was feeling good, right? Like I started mm -hmm. to kind of recover from the two weeks off. Okay. I got to go home for Christmas. And they're like, well, if you don't do it, we feel there's around like a, like a 75, 80% chance it comes back. But if you do, feel like maybe it's more of like a 25% chance. Mm. Like, all right, don't really have a choice, right? Mm. So um, we look for a, a, a donor in the registry and I don't have a, I don't have a match. I don't have a match in the, the stem cell registry. So they, they started the thing where they, you know, test your family members. Mm. This is where my big family comes into play, right? Where right. Um, I ended up having two sisters who were half matches to me that they just recently started to do half match um, transplants, right? Like that was, it was a thing that they had been seeing a lot of success with. Um, one of my sisters was pregnant. So my youngest sister, um, she ended up being the, the match that we used. Um, so they take me to the brink of death, you know, destroy all the, the cells and then they transplant hers in. Science is amazing. I saw that you had, you know, that the stem cell research um, guest just barely, where it was like my blood type changed. I have female DNA. I have a completely new immune system. It's seven years old. My sister, like, I'd always joke. I'm like, dude, I'm just, I'm gonna go rob a bank. I'll cut myself, leave your blood there. <laughs> we get in trouble. And she's just like, well, I'll just tell him like, look at me and look at you, and then. <laughs> See <laughs> like, who do they think it did it? So, I love her already. <clears throat> but it's just crazy because it's like, man. But after that, like the first those next two weeks, it was fevers of 105, like just constantly. So I was like, I was going delirious. Like that 
the second half of my stay, the bone marrow transplant was by far like the most difficult part. And the whole time Kira is right there staying at the hospital every night, just she's scared to death because we don't know what's going on. I kept having like every, like everything kept going wrong too, right? I was having all these complications. I was having allergic reactions, right? Like coding, you know, going to anaphylactic shock and like scary, scary stuff. And she's there, you know, she's there that entire time, at least. And this is where the caregiver side comes in for me of like, my family went through it with my addiction. Kira went through it. I was getting all of the attention, like mm. all of the attention. Jake needs the help. Jake, but they're going through it. And so that's kind of where I was. Um, I felt a lot of understanding on that side of like, oh my gosh, I was just trying to like stay awake, <laughs> right? Like I, I'm not really experiencing like what they are. Um, so after that though, I get, to, I have to stay with the caregiver 24 seven. Kira's my caregiver. Couldn't leave the house. Um, and during this time, this is when um, I just read. I read a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I started reading. I found it's called um, a CES letter. It's a, a letter that somebody did that was part of the church that had written to one of the leaders asking a bunch of questions about church history. And when I started reading it, and they're they're like, we, we're we're taught not to look at anything, any literature outside of the church because it, it's considered anti-Mormon literature. Mm-hmm. And so if you read something, you have to make sure that it's church approved, okay. right? To make sure that it's like legit. So I had known that and I'm reading this stuff and it was things that I had no idea about. There was like, I'd been a member for my entire life and none of that stuff was being talked about. And, you know, some of the things about like Joseph Smith and like polygamy and, mm. and things that it was just like, no, that didn't happen. But it was at a time when they call it like the Joseph Smith papers came out, like the church actually Mm -hmm. had those came out with that information there. Right. With the Internet, it's kind of hard to hide things. And so because of that, that's kind of when that came out. And so then it was like confirming. I'm like, wait a minute. Like, why wasn't I told that? Right. Like people would get upset that, you know, he uh, translated the scriptures out of a hat. Like they didn't teach us that. Like, you know, growing up, we, we were taught that he translated the Book of Mormon, you know, through the plates. And I'm like, in my head, I wasn't like, that's weird. Because I'm like, dude, just the thought of like God appearing to him and him translating that. I was like, that's pretty intense. Like, that's really out there. Like, why didn't they just tell me the real story? Because yeah. that that faith and that belief would have still been there. And then it was just really on like, you know. And I won't go in like too much detail, but it was something that had happened with Joseph and his wife that was like, I just lost all trust, mm. like all trust. Like I felt betrayed. I felt just like I felt sick to my stomach because it didn't make sense why we weren't telling this stuff. Like, what are we hiding? And then, you know, like, like trust is just, you know, once that's gone, but George, all of that stuff leading up to that, like it was not like my faith crisis that I had experienced at this time was by far harder than all of that because I just spent 11 years trying to get back to the church. Yeah. Right? Like, and to to read it and like then to find out that it was true and, you know, asking questions like we're, we're taught to, you know, doubt the doubts 
like before you doubt the church, you know, doubt your doubts. And so like, there's just that battle of like, what is going on? Um, but during this time, Kira, who is, man, she's like the most spiritual person ever without even realizing <laughs> it. She's always like 10 steps ahead, but like she was having these lucid dreams that she was trying to make sense of. And she brought home a book, Ayahuasca, Soul Medicine of the Amazon Jungle, <laughs> Javier Reguero, like just randomly, right? So we start reading that and it's talking about the healing, the healing power of ayahuasca and like how it was healing people with addiction and like, you know, like depression and, and like all of the amazing things. And I was like, what, what is going on? Because one of the hardest things for me was the loss of spirituality, right? If, if the church wasn't true, why was I getting answers to my prayers? If the church wasn't true, why would I be praying for something and find answers in the scriptures? Who do I pray to? Who am I praying to now? Like, I don't. And that was such a huge part. Like, like such a huge part. And, you know, learning about these things, you know, obviously we weren't able to go to Peru and, you know, have, have, a, have an ayahuasca experience. But it was planting the seed, right? Right. Planted the seed to have that idea that there are some things that actually can help with that. And then it got to the point where I had, you know, my experience with psilocybin that. And I had done it when I was, you know, recreationally. Sure. And it was like, cool. I had never done it in a, um, like, with intent. I never mm. did it with. So true. With anything besides. Like, I wanted to do what it was telling me it could do. Right. I wanted it to, like, this is from the earth. Like, this is, this is something that's connecting. And I'm like, I, I want to do it that way. And it's crazy because I, I did try it and I had a really like healing experience um, and connecting, but it wasn't until just barely working with Amanda, realizing that I had trauma within myself that was just eating me up. And it was about a month and a half or two months ago that I, I decided I was like, I'm going to do um, a hero dose. I'm going to sit in my room. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to have the intention. Um, I want to connect. I want to go. I want to give up, not give up. I want to release. I want to yeah. say, hey, take me. I know that this is a thing. And it was amazing because I, I visited every, I like I saw myself in front of everybody that meant a lot to me, all of my family members, as if I was right there in the room. We, there was not like, it was just, we, we looked at each other and there was no words, right? No words at all being spoken, but man, they understood me. So <laughs> I, I cannot tell you of like how much, because all I wanted to know, all I wanted them to know was like, I'm not a bad person. Like I didn't leave the church because I couldn't live its teachings or I wanted to go a different way. Like, like I wanted them to know how much pain I was feeling. Right. And, yeah. and it got to a point where it was like, we understand you. Like it was my mom and grandma that I, I specifically remember. And those two had both, they've talked about, like they've never questioned the church, right? They've never had doubts. Yeah. Right. And so it was when I was like, it kind of peeled everything off of like, I didn't see my Mormon mom. I didn't see my Mormon grandma. 
I didn't see my earthly mom. I didn't see my earthly grandma. Like my divine light within me was speaking and connecting to their divine light <laughs> in them. Right. And it was, it was a, it was me. They were me. I was them. Right. It was that connection. <laughs> yeah. Like, dude, yeah. you don't like, you don't need to ask us for forgiveness. Right. <laughs> right. Like it was, they were seeing me as me. They completely understood. And, and uh, I just started to ball. Right. I cried harder than I had ever cried in my life, longer than I had ever cried. And when I had come out, it was like all of that shame and guilt was just like it was a lifetime worth of therapy of like it was understanding i came out with a thought of connection that i had never thought of before i was so excited because that was that was the most spiritual because i i understood myself right um dr gabor mate talks about like that's part of trauma is the loss of self right mm -hmm. and, and that loss of self when they talk about addiction the, the opposite of addiction it's it's not sobriety it's connection right and so those things are all coming together and i'm like oh my gosh like that plant it's i mean you you've done it it's so hard to put into words of like how yeah. strong that feeling was how much that changed in my mind how much of a like oh my gosh like everybody's the same as me no matter what anybody else does right like yeah. that's just their ego them they're the other person like the the divine light in them right i feel like when we when we leave this earth whatever we connect back to the those divine lights and like people that had made like that we needed to make amends with it's just like no man that was like that was my earth life this is you know this is that <laughs> yeah. pure and, and perfect life and that was so beautiful and that's like i said it was just ha like just happened i found out that people actually do like integration coaching because the, the thing is, it's like, you, okay, you have that experience. Now, what do you do with it? Everything was aligning up with I've already been doing with coaching. Coaching, you're not telling people what to do, right? Coaching is not giving advice. It's empowering somebody to find that light in them, right? It's empowering yeah. them. It's, you know, the, the patterns. It's like, we only think one way, right? We, we think of the way that we perceive things. A coach is there to help ask those other questions, like what other options might there be, right? Because there's yeah. tons of different options. And, and when we're able to find out who we are, like that's literally when that purpose comes in. We have so many people that don't have purpose because we're disconnected <laughs> from who we are. And that's that powerful part of like, dude, if you can help people, these plant medicines help people do that, <laughs> then it's like, okay, now... Like what, what's better to have somebody <clears throat> by your side, completely no judgment. You make a mistake, dude, cool. What happened? Let's go, let's dig a little bit deeper because maybe that wasn't the goal that we should have went after, right? Like maybe it was something else. And so it's like, <laughs> oh man, I, I feel safe to be myself. I feel safe to be vulnerable. You know, be having the, the vulnerability, that's it's Latin word for to, to wound, right? <laughs> right, so it, it makes us to be vulnerable and we heal from those wounds. And I just got so excited about all of this and finding out there's coaching. And I'm like, I don't know anything about it. So I'm just going to reach out to everybody that I started adding everybody on LinkedIn, reaching out. I talked to Kristen. She connected me to you, <laughs> connected me to Rand Hansen, who I know. Or, right. Uh, yeah. Who you've had. Phenomenal individual. Yeah. And I'm just like, this is the greatest thing I've ever found. And I don't know 
I'm just stepping into this community, but it's like, find your tribe, right? We have, we all have a tribe. Not everybody's going to get excited about things for you, but like, that's not your tribe. But if you're not like yourself, how are you going to find your people? Right. So well said. So that's kind of, I mean, I know it was long, it was, it was crazy, but man, that's why I'm so grateful that I have found you listening to your podcast, like the work, the studies that has done. So now it's like, dude, this, it shouldn't even be put in the same category as a drug, right? Like let's, let's completely change our mind because we struggle with mental, we have a mental health crisis. We have an opioid crisis. We have, but we have medicine that helps with that, George. Like we yes. legit have something that helps, that's safe. That's something that's connected, that inspires people to look outside of their own patterns like that is exciting and that's why i was like once i started watching your stuff i was so like i'm honored to be here because I'm like dude this is this is what i want to do so i uh, i'm not there yet i the coaching is that but like man i i'm just i'm just excited you know with the the possibilities honestly yeah i you know I'm a big fan of mythology. I'm a big fan of spirituality. And the older I get, the more things that happened in my life make sense to me. And they begin to line up in ways that you never thought possible. And the truth is, you know, you have a story that is written in the stars, not in the sand. And the truth is, if I came to you and said, hey, Jake, I want you to become one of the greatest teachers possible out there. But in order to do that, I'm going to rip everything from you. I'm going to tear away your spirituality. I'm going to tear away your family. I'm going to make them hate you. You'd be like, get the hell out of here, you weirdo. <laughs> I don't want any of that. No, no, it's going to be great. You're going to smoke a bunch of meth. You're going to walk around town like a crackhead. It's going to be awesome. You'd be like, dude, I want no part of this. Mm -hmm. And I think this is my belief. And I, I honestly believe that this, this place we're at is a spiritual classroom and people are given opportunities to be here. And, and maybe it's a pact that happens before we come here. I, I don't thoroughly understand how we get here, but I know without a doubt by reading mythology, by talking to people like Rick Strassman, by talking to people like Dr. Jessica, that it's bigger than we can imagine. And all these things that happen to us, especially the traumatic events are lessons that we're being taught so that later in life we can become the teacher of those lessons. And none of us would choose to go through trauma. None of us would choose to have these things happen to us, but it's, it's, it's like this tempering fire that you're forced to walk through so that you can become your authentic self. And I love, I love you, man. I'm so thankful yeah. that you're able to share these stories because only, and don't get me wrong. I think that modern medicine has done so much for people and mm -hmm. it's gotten to this point where we are now. And I'm so thankful that there's beautiful doctors out there that are, give their lives to help people. But I think what we're seeing emerge now is this sort of second pillar. We're, we're reintroducing spirituality to medicine. And I think the people that can best help people in trauma are people that have been through those traumas themselves. And in modern medicine today, you know, the guy that gave you those suboxidin or the guy that gives you methadone that guy didn't take methadone he doesn't he knows he probably cares a lot about people and he knows what this what the pharmaceutical companies have told him it does and he's read the studies but he hasn't been on it he hasn't been on the adventure and so if there's a young jake or a young george or a young Kristen out there or there's someone that's suffering 
the person that can really help them the most is the person that has walked down that road. And in a weird way, when you think about hiking, there, there, new trails are sometimes created. Those are called trailblazers. Jake, and that's what you are, my friend. I, I love you. I'm so stoked that you've had the courage to do it. I'm so stoked that your parents opened you back with open arms when times were tough. I'm so stoked about your aunt. I'm so stoked that the teachers were there when, when the real teachers showed up when you needed them. And the mm -hmm. ones that may not have been real teachers were maybe falling asleep when you were trying to ask for help. And like, those are all lessons that you're going to carry with you forever. When you, yeah. when some kid comes to you and you sit on the edge of your seat and that kid <laughs> sees in yeah. you the light, like, like those are all uh, gifts, my friend. They're mm -hmm. all gifts. And it's no, like, I, I get it. I get why Kristen was like, George, this is the guy, George, 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 listen, this is the guy Go talk to him. I get it now. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. I, uh, so if we just move on a little bit from there, like how do you think you can use some of these tools, some of these lessons that you were taught to help other people? Yeah. So <clears throat> I love that you had brought all those up too, because like Greek mythology, the figure Chiron, I like he's in astrology, he's known as the wounded healer, mm -hmm. right? And I just resonated with him from the moment I heard about him, right? Because it was like, um, then there's this quote that I had actually written down. It's like, only when we have descended into the depths of our own shadows can we show up fully <laughs> for someone else as they navigate their own darkness. Right. Like, that's what I want to do, George. Like, that's I what know. I want to be there when, like, like, I wouldn't say I'm comfortable there. But like, I know that, like, I'm not afraid to go down there. And that's where that, like the psychedelic experience of like, no, I'm gonna, I'm going to come at this um, curious, right? And I think that's what I wanna do is I want to be able to give someone the safe space to be authentic, right? Like the greatest enjoyment I feel like in life would just be to be able to express our true selves in whatever we do. That's what I, I keep telling Kira. I'm like, dude, I want to be the same person in every single, I want to be weird. I want to be like laugh. I want to do that. Like, I don't want to have that mask of wherever I'm at. And what I want to do is, and what I do get to do, and that's what the, the cool part about with coaching, right? Yeah. Is you're offering that same, that safe spot because it's, it's difficult to, to navigate through this life. And a coach is just yeah. a partner, right? A coach is, I had done it my entire life, but I didn't have different skills like coaching skills like that's why i went to to go get trained that's why i went to do those things and it's so exciting because then you partner with that other person right and regardless of what it is yeah. right i know that i'm i'm going to be able to relate to you know people going through cancer addiction depression faith crisis all of those things but everybody struggles everybody has a difficult time connecting with themselves to be their their true authentic self and I know that there's a ton of coach, a lot of life coaches out there, right? A lot of yeah, life coaches, a lot of life gurus. I'm not looking to be a guru. I'm not, I'm not looking to to do any of that. Like I, I keep thinking, I'm like, there's no way I went through all that I went through just right. to like not do anything with it. Right? right. And so it's just like, what am I waiting for? Instead of a fear of like, you know, because sometimes I would go like, okay, I shouldn't be afraid because I went through cancer. But that was still like a, a fear, like, okay, like I shouldn't be afraid because now I know who I am. Yeah. Right? And that's what, that's what that, that power of coaching, that's what that power of mentoring, that's what that power yes. comes from of like, Hey, let's figure out who you are, you know, and then let's put together a plan. Let's put together an accountability system because 
if you know you get all these good ideas it's like you could go to a conference and be like oh that was awesome or have that psychedelic experience but then you do nothing with it and you right. lose that that's why that coach is right. there to help like you know hey how'd you do and like i said it's completely judgment free which is a huge thing because I, I didn't like getting in trouble right <laughs> and sometimes you think like oh man i'm going to be held accountable but the cool thing is it's not it's not that way and so it's exciting to have those and that's where i feel like my experience coming from where I've been, you know, like I I know that I'll be able to speak to people, right? I'll yeah. have those speaking engagements and and do that, like you know, motivation on that side. But I don't want my story to take over any of like the truth, right? Because right. when I die, that that's just my story. And some people could be like, well, he did it, but like he's kind of an anomaly. But it's not right. Like there are true principles, right. right? There are universal truths, and there are things that we can do, and everybody has the ability to connect with themselves. And so that's where that power is of like, okay, my, I'm going to dedicate my life to try to help people connect with themselves because then once we can do that, then all right, now let's tackle. What do you want to do, right? What are your core values? Are we living with that? Because when we're not in our core values, like man that disconnect we can feel that we're pushed aside to yeah. you know back and forth so like that's the thing it's like okay what goals can we set um you know what what questions can we ask ourselves like i said before mm, i got on that's here, a great one yeah before i even got on here i was nervous but then you know i have these the disciplines it's like yeah okay be aware am i aware am i accepting you know what kind of conscious choice am i making like is that even true of what i'm thinking and i went down those things i'm like dude I'm thinking of like a, oh, this to be successful, this has to be the result. A mastery mindset <laughs> is I'm guaranteed to succeed because I'm going in and I'm going to learn something. Yeah. Results aren't going to be a part of that. And I know that's kind of hard for a lot of people. It's like, I want results. I want results. <laughs> right. And that, that's kind of the idea. But it's like, that's not how life works. That is not how life works because those results, right? like those, we don't have any control over that. Right. Yeah. And so that's the kind of teaching of like that. How do we think that way? That it's the process. How do we think about what values are important to us? Because then when everybody else is talking, it's like, dude, you can feel really good because you stuck to your values. Vulnerability is a big value of mine. Right. And literally, that's what I kept saying. I'm like, I'm being true to that yeah. value. And so I can I can after we get off, I'm going to sit and I hadn't done this for a long time, but I'm going to sit with myself. And I'm going to be proud of myself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's, I think that's a, a huge part of the growth. And I think everybody needs to do that. And that's where I, I see that my um, life experiences can, uh, can really resonate on that level. Yeah. I, you know, I, I've, I've been speaking with a lot of people and it seems to me, and I, I'm curious to get your opinion on this. I see this world emerging where, the way we make the world better is by each individual becoming the best, the best version of themselves. And when you, when you do that, when you become the best version of yourself, mm -hmm. Adam Tapp had a great quote. He says, look, George, when you become the best version of yourself, it's like there's this giant bucket of murky water. And every person that becomes the best version of themselves is a drop of bleach. And every little drop of bleach goes into that murky water. And all of a sudden, you know, it, it's, it's contagious and the, mm -hmm. the bleach comes out and then all of a sudden it starts clearing up. That's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is every time you become the 
every one of us is like a pebble that, and when we become the best version of ourselves, we're thrown into the pond, like this pure pebble. And then those little ripples rip, rip, you know, radiate outwards and it catches people and it moves them into the world of becoming the best version of themselves. And, you know, I, I think that when you do distill yourself down to what is important and what's important to me, what, what is the best version of myself? Isn't the best version of you. What's the best version of you? Isn't the best version of Kristen. And, but all of us together become becoming the best version of ourselves is is like I feel like we're on the front lines of of helping people and it's so rewarding and when you say you're going to sit with yourself and be proud of the story you told and being vulnerable and being true to yourself like it's so powerful man and and I'm so thankful that that you're out there and doing the things you're doing and reaching out to people and I think people are responding I mean I, I see mm -hmm. people you're you're the podcast blowing up. I see the the connections you're making. I don't think you would be even connected to the people you were unless you would become the person you are. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. One thing I, I've always thought too of like we do worry about the exterior things, you know, when you've got politics and, and things like yeah. that. It's like how do we it's like we make ourselves better because there's influence, right? We right. influence people. And when yeah. we're the best version of ourselves, Kobe Bryant was asked like what what his definition of greatness was, right? And he yeah. talked about, you know, the ability to inspire somebody who will then inspire somebody else, right? Yeah. So when he leaves, like he's inspiring somebody to be better. And what that does, it's not an arrogant better. It's like, oh, I'm inspiring to be better. So guess what I'm going to do, right? Yeah. That's where it is. It's a, it's a collective when you're, but that's also too, when you peel back the egos, we're that same, like, ah, oh, I am you, you are me yeah that, those connections like that's what it, it's about is is our tribe is our connecting and so when you do improve yourself you're opening up that connection and you are influencing people you're spot on you're spot on with that yeah it's it's i'm so fascinated to hear about that experience that you had where you know you you see the connections and for me too you know some of the biggest mind mind altering mind expanding growth limit growth allowing <clears throat> experiences were this idea that oh my god i am them everything yeah. i see in them everything i uh, see in them, like yeah. the good things the bad things and like that's scary for me that was really scary for me when i when i realized these things that i hated about other people i didn't hate those other people or those things i hated those things about me mm -hmm. and then i was like oh my god they're showing <laughs> me what i hate yeah. about myself yeah Whoa! Uh. And then you got to go and apologize to people for being mm -hmm. a kind of a punk. And then, but that's part of it too. It's like, Hey man, thank you for showing me this thing about myself that I'm lacking in, man. And I'm mm -hmm. not trying to work on it. I just want to say sorry for projecting it on you. And you know, like it just, it on some level, you're like, Oh, that's it. And then you realize the amount of work you have to do now, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the funny, like that was a hard lesson. Cause they taught about that in my, my, my coaching course, it's like higher conscious, um, understanding, whatever. It's like what we see in them, we also have in us. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. no, but you think about like <laughs> serial killers. It's like, I don't have that in me or anything, but then like, as you do the coaching and like, you'll have these moments come up and you ask, it's like, Hey, you know, like, you know, what is it in them yeah. is bothering you? And then when do you, uh, show that quality within yourself? And then you're like, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh. And then it's it's like a, it's a self compassion too, yeah. though, right? Because it's like, it oh, is. I do that. I'm sorry, but it's like, dude, okay, like let's let's work on that. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's so awesome, man. I I'm I'm really excited, man. I I, I got to tell you that I 
I wasn't sure what your story was exactly, but it's, it's one of the best stories that I have ever heard. And I'm so thankful that you got to share it here with me. And I'm, I'm thankful for your time. And before I let you go though, Jake, what do you have coming up and where can people find you? And what are you excited about? Yeah. So I am right now. You can find me. I'm, I'm working on my website still. Okay. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I do have a Facebook, but it's just kind of a personal one. So LinkedIn would be the best. Okay. Um, and we could put these in the show notes and Absolutely. whatnot, but, um, you know, we, you know, people can feel free to have a, an, uh, an, like connection call, right. Just to kind yeah. of see if this is something that they like that we, um, that we would work well together, right. If they want to right. get coached, it's kind of a, um, let's see if there's synergy there. So if they could reach out to, you know, coaching at lifebeyondthebrink.com, um, you know, email me there, but again, that's, that's where I'm, that's where you can find me as far as like what I'm excited for. And I am just excited to be growing my, my, not my yeah. network, but my connections, right? right. Growing my coaching um, business, my coaching practice, you know, speaking engagements. Um, so I'm really excited about that. I'm working really hard on, on getting all of those things together. And um, yeah, I'm just going to connect, keep connecting with people, keep curious. Uh, yeah. So I love the community that you have welcomed me into and, <laughs> No, I'm I'm here to stay. Yeah, without a doubt, you're a, you're a huge part of it, man, and I'm really thankful. So for everybody watching, check out the link down there. Reach out to Jake if if you found that his story connected with you, and you want to reach out to him. Reach out to him. He's 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 listening to people. He's doing connect calls. I I highly recommend it because I I think anybody listening to this can see the passion in his eyes, and he's a passionate person. But more than that, he wants to make you and himself have a better connection in the world better. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to us. That's all we got for today. Jake, hang on one second. I'm going to close out, but I want to talk to you. Cool. Aloha, everybody. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that... I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, 
Go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it. 